seated. On this Easter Sunday morning, 2013, I want to refer to three important passages, three of the most important passages in all of the Bible. The first one, of course, is record of the most important event in history, the resurrection of Jesus in Matthew 28. But there are two other resurrections that I want to remind you of this morning and celebrate with you. They are connected to the first. The first is the most important, but there are three resurrections total that all of us have great interest in and ought to be knowledgeable about. In fact, when we said the Heidelberg question and answer 45, we addressed three benefits to Christ's resurrection. And I want to address those benefits by calling them three resurrections. And so before we begin to consider all three of these, I want to begin with that classic passage, that one that we ought to read on a regular basis, not just on Easter Sunday. That's Matthew 28. Of course, there is a a parallel account in the other Gospels. I will read Matthew's account, the first 10 verses of Matthew 28. Please hear as I read God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let's pray. Father, it is true as we think of the song and singing about bells ringing, that we can be born again. Lord Jesus, you are indeed risen from the dead. That angel sat up on that tombstone and declared that you had risen just like you said. And Lord, as those women went quickly to go tell the disciples, give us an urgency too to tell others. This changes everything, Lord. Everything is different because you live. Lord Jesus, I personally thank you for giving purpose to this pulpit and to this church and to each believer here. And I pray that if someone doesn't know you, that they would come to know you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There is in the Bible perhaps no more important theme or motif than death to life. If a preacher cannot get up for Easter Sunday morning, he ought not be a preacher. The heart of the gospel is life 
in Christ, in the midst and around death. And we can mask it, but death is what, what seems to dominate. And if it were not for Christ rising from the dead, it would still dominate. It would have far more than just a sting. We have life in Christ because he's a living Savior, not just a past ideal that's dead and gone like so many others. He's a living Savior. The work of Christ, the work that he did for us to make us right with God, dying on the cross, paying for our sins, making us right with God, making us sons and daughters of the living God by his sacrifice, that work is made effective because he rises again. If he doesn't rise again, his work means nothing. It stands for nothing. The resurrection of Jesus, it's the first of three essential resurrections that I want us to consider. The resurrection of Jesus, number one. The resurrection of your soul, my soul, number two. And finally, the resurrection that will come of our bodies. Three resurrections. First, and most importantly, the account I just read, Matthew 28. It's the most important resurrection in the history of mankind. It happened some 2,000 years ago. We've just read the account, but look at the verses there again as those guards fell like dead men when they saw this angel. In verse 5, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. In history, placed very solidly is the act of the crucifixion of Jesus. Verse 6, he's not here, for he has risen. His body hasn't been taken. He hasn't woken up and walked out. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. So they departed quickly, verse 8, from the tomb with fear and great joy. You can imagine fear and joy mixed together. We can gather some of that. And they ran to tell his disciples. They, they couldn't just walk. They, they ran. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And their reaction ought to be the same reaction for us. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. They worshipped him because he is God. Only God could rise again. The resurrection of Jesus, it's the final component, you might say, of the redemptive act of Christ on our behalf. That's why it is so important. I, it, there's no way for me to overstate how important the resurrection is. When we talk about Jesus saving us from our sins, we do mean primarily his work on the cross, but without the resurrection, that work on the cross would be unvalidated. We know the work of Jesus on the cross was accepted by God because of the resurrection. It's proof that God the Father accepted the offering of the Son by raising Jesus up again. When we talk about Jesus redeeming us, we mean a complex of actions. We mean his incarnation. We mean his sinless life, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. So the first great resurrection was Jesus rising again on the third day. Redemption would be just talk if not for the resurrection. Adoption would be just a concept if not for the resurrection of Christ. The notion of our living eternally would be only a lofty notion or a dream if not for Jesus rising again. For the Scripture's message to be true, Jesus must rise again. 
There are many things that people discuss in the Bible. It's a huge book, 66 books, lots of complexities. There are things that we can debate about. This might be what it's saying. This might not be. But as it relates to the resurrection, there can be no mistake. It's not a negotiable. It's an essential. It's a cornerstone to the totality of Jesus's life and ministry. His rising again. And very frankly, how unique would Jesus really be if he had not been raised from the dead? One could probably argue, and I don't know every major religion there is very well, but one could argue that most religions in the world promote some kind of a moral code. Most of the notable faiths claim some kind of knowledge about the afterlife or immortality. But only Christianity has a Savior who is predicted, who fulfills those predictions, makes predictions himself, even about his own death and resurrection, and then fulfills them. Buddha, Confucius, the great Greek philosophers, the Eastern gurus, Middle Eastern Sikhs and sages, Mohammed, imams, Jewish rabbis, Tibetan monks, Hindi holy men, cult leaders, new age teachers, they all lack the one thing necessary for final credibility, the resurrection. Jesus is the only one who rises again. And therefore, we are compelled to deal with his claims as a result. There's just something powerful about one who is like us, dying like we all will, but unlike us, He rises again and defeats it. He is the one that we need the message from. Since Jesus, in fact, rose again, every person must confront his claims. Really, you've got some choices, I suppose. You could ignore him if you try. You could deny him. You could try to refute him. Or like those women, you could worship him. The disciples worked their way through doubt to finally conceding that Jesus had risen again, and it utterly transformed them. Uh, Their life alone is a marker to the truth of Jesus' resurrection, to go from what they were to what they became. There has been more written about Jesus than any other human being to live, yet we only have less than four years worth of a record of his life on earth why is he so unique why is he so focused upon well no one else has ever defeated death that common enemy of all people the whole of jesus's fascinating life is built on his resurrection his resurrection is the first and greatest resurrection on which the other two resurrections that concern us depend let's consider those ephesians chapter 2 You might say Matthew 28, Ephesians 2, and 1 Corinthians 15. If I could only have three chapters in the Bible at my disposal, I'd take these three. Ephesians 2 talks about the second resurrection. You might say the first resurrection begets the other two. Because Jesus was raised again, more resurrections happen. The second such resurrection happens to your soul upon trusting Christ. Now, technically, and I want to be technical about it, it's important. According to God's will and timing, when you believe in Christ, 
actually what is happening is a resurrection of your dead soul. I know you may not feel that, but that's what's happened. That resurrection of your soul actually enables you to trust Christ. Technically, you don't believe and then become born again. You're born again and you believe. Jesus' resurrection is the first and greatest resurrection, but it begets this resurrection, the one that happens to our soul by God's Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. One of the most vivid descriptions of your soul's resurrection happens in Ephesians 2. Look at the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2, and you will see this resurrection take place. Let me say it to you this way. If you are interested in the resurrection of Jesus today, you've come to worship the resurrected Christ. This is because your soul has been resurrected. It's already happened. If you're interested in this, if you worship Christ, if you trust him and you're here for that reason, that means your soul has undergone a resurrection. How do I know? Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Note the condition of every human being, dead in trespasses and sins. If you have come to Christ, it is not because someone fashioned an argument that gripped you intellectually and now you're a believer. You have come to Christ and believed upon him because he has resurrected your dead soul. Now, because it's a rational faith, it makes good sense to your intellect, and God uses this to bolster your faith. But make no mistake, you weren't argued into this. You could not be argued into this. You can argue to a corpse all you want. They will never come alive unless life is given to them first. And Paul says you were dead in your trespasses and sins, not that you were sick, not that you were terminal, not that you were mortally wounded, not that you were really in a bad place. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's the description of our condition. Verse 3 of Ephesians 2, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. One of the big lies today, it underlies almost all worldviews that you see that are opposed to Christ. People are generally good. That's the big lie. People are spiritually dead and they walk like this. You want to talk about the walking dead. People apart from Christ are the walking dead. That's a beautiful picture of what we really are apart from the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, apart from our souls being resurrected. That's what we look like. The walking dead. We're not generally good. We're not even a little good. We are by nature children of wrath. We have to have a resurrection of soul. Do you see this description before faith in Christ? Dead in trespasses and sins. It's not a description of your physical being. It is a description of your soul apart from Christ. How is this so? Well, the death of our soul has origins from the time of our creation. God made us, that is mankind. 
is a body-soul nexus. We've come to think of the body evil, the soul's this, and we, and we differentiate and we dichotomize. But the truth is God made us as a body-soul nexus to live forever that way, body and soul together. A living body and a living soul. But upon man's disobedience in the garden, we died. Well, if you think about this, God says you will surely die if you eat and Adam and Eve eat. They don't fall over dead right there, do they? No, see, their soul dies and their body begins to deteriorate and die slowly. So they go from being a living body and a living soul together in Nexus to a dead soul with a dying body. And that is all of our nature. That is what we are before we are resurrected in soul. The only way for our souls to be made alive again is to be united to Christ in order to share in his substitutionary life for us. Back to Ephesians 2, verse 4. This is the truth about us, but verse 4 in Ephesians chapter 2 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You see the resurrection of soul? There it is. We were dead, but he made us alive together with Christ. And he did it. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, verse 6, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In that glorious verse of chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Wait a minute, what's not your own doing? Being saved by grace through faith. Faith, belief, trust, dependence, reliance, is the gift of God. You see that? That's why we say you must be regenerated before you can believe. You have to be born again before you can believe. This is what it means to have a resurrection of the soul. And you can't resurrect yourself. Not a result of works, Ephesians 2, 9 says, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Even when we were dead... This refers to our souls being dead. He made us alive together with Christ. This is the connection with our risen Savior. Because of Jesus' resurrection, our souls are resurrected. We are made alive spiritually because of Jesus' resurrection. We are regenerated. We are made alive. Our souls are quickened. In Christ, though our bodies are still dying, our soul is made alive. So we are now living souls with dying bodies. That's the truth. To be resurrected in soul means to have our mind awakened to our sin and our need for Christ. To be resurrected in soul is the same as saying we are born again. Regenerated, born again, resurrected in soul, they all mean the same thing. You can understand the things of God because you have been made alive to them. This is why you can for the longest time hear the message of the gospel of God's grace for you in Christ. And it not make any sense to you. Even think it's foolish. And then all of a sudden... Like veils coming off your eyes, you see it. What's the difference? You have a living soul. God has given you eyes to see this. The resurrection has to do this second resurrection with the inner man, the inner being. 
This life we live is no longer live with a dead soul when we are in Christ. But it's still lived with a dying body. And we all know this too well, don't we? You know, I was thinking about this. I don't know how to quantify it because it's difficult probably at any stage of your life. There's only a short time in our earthly existence where we enjoy some kind of a physical ascent. Do you know what I'm saying? Right? What do you think it is? Maybe do you reach the apex at what, 30? No one can ever agree completely whether it's 30 or not. Maybe the 30, you get to a certain top point and then things start to drop precipitously. Our bodies degrade rapidly. Most of our life, and this is going to be encouraging for you, most of our life will be spent noticing the downward movement of our body's condition. Despite all the ways that we have devised to keep ourselves feeling younger, the overall age span of human beings has not grown significantly. Do you know no one in this room will be here in a 100 years? Most will be gone in 75. Yet we are born again. Our souls are renewed. And though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day as the word of God declares. At creation we were made a living body with a living soul. At the fall the soul died immediately and the body started to follow suit. When we come to Christ in this life, we experience a resurrection of our soul, but our body continues to wither. There is yet another resurrection to come. The third resurrection, you might say. The final resurrection. The one to right all that was made wrong at the fall. All that which killed our soul and our body in the garden so long ago is made right at this final resurrection. Through the first Adam came death. Through the second Adam, Jesus, our second representative, through him comes life. Our souls are resurrected and eventually our bodies will be raised again too. And we will once again be living bodies with living souls. It will be a body-soul nexus never to be separated again. The third resurrection we read of in 1 Corinthians 15. There are other passages, but 1 Corinthians 15 is the chapter on this subject. Paul is specifically addressing the issue for pastoral purpose because people were losing loved ones and wondering what was their fate in Christ. What did it mean? We came to Christ, we're renewed, but we still die. And the pain is still there. It still racks us to say goodbye or to look towards the day where we, where we will die physically. Now, as we consider the third resurrection, the resurrection of your body in 1 Corinthians 15, if you're young, let's say younger than 30, let's just say that, you may not be able immediately to appreciate thoughts of future resurrection with flawless, healed, healthy bodies. You know, you're in good shape, so you're not really thinking like that. But if you're very old at all, like 30 or older, you know aches and pains. You know what sickness feels like. You know how hard it is to maintain good physical condition. You know poor eyesight. You know messed up blood sugar. You know the flu. You know chronic fatigue. 
You know deafness. You know allergies. You know sores that will not heal, limbs that will not work, fingers that will not grip, and nagging pains that never stop. And we go through surgeries, and we wear casts, and we do things only to fall apart again eventually. You know headaches. You know rotten teeth. You know that your body is dying. Vitamins, exercise, glasses, surgeries, medicines, all sorts of treatments. They may stave off aging for a time. Maybe a thick coat of makeup might do some work or some hair dye will hold off the onset of years. Usually it doesn't hold it off as long as you think it does when you're caking that on. We all go through physical death unless we're some of the few who will be here when Christ returns. In the end, as it relates to your body dying, we're fighting a losing battle. But praise be to God, this is ever so fleeting. I know it doesn't feel like that in the midst of the pain you're suffering with. But the final resurrection writes all these things. And we have that to look forward to. Is As joyous as we can look back upon the resurrection of Jesus and gain strength and be emboldened by it, as wonderfully as we can recognize, I once was dead, but now I'm alive, and we can live in that light. With that kind of encouragement that you have knowing the first resurrection and the second resurrection, you can now look forward to the third resurrection knowing that these few years on earth will go by rapidly, and death will come suddenly. And that may sound bad or horrible if you're not in Christ, but if you're in Christ, it gives you all the more purpose to live every second for Christ now. You are his workmanship created in him for good works, for Christ Jesus' glory. And then when death comes suddenly, you are ready and will experience in no time at all this final resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, so many passages that I could read. I just want to pick a few. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, and I'll read a few verses after it. Please listen because Paul is very explicit about the application of Jesus' resurrection to us. He says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That means he's the first of those to be resurrected. He's the prototype of resurrection, our resurrection. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You see, you have to be in Christ, my friends. You've got to trust in Christ, be in Christ. And in Christ, you experience the resurrection of your soul and you will experience the resurrection of your body to come. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Just yesterday night as we were driving back from a soccer game, two of my boys were, we were just talking about, about Easter and about resurrection. And my younger son, he was really intrigued by it. And this is a great question. I'm sure many of you have asked this. Will I be 10 in heaven? Or will my dad, who went home to be with the Lord a couple years ago, will, what, how old will he be in heaven, in the eternal state, in the final resurrection? And we started talking about all these possibilities and all these questions. And, and we, I, couldn't give any, I couldn't give direct answers because the Bible doesn't give us that, those clear answers. And I believe the reason why the Bible doesn't give us those answers, it's not because it's not true. It's because we, we, 
our bandwidth can't take the full truth of what it will be. It's sort of like you have this little flash drive that's just got 8 gig on it. But you got 6,000 gig that need to be saved on this. So what would you do? Well, you'll take just the most important things you can possibly think of to put on that 8. I think that's what God has done in condescending to us with our fallen minds in giving us the word of God. We have a bandwidth that is very, very limited, far more limited than you can imagine. The, to imagine God's glory and his goodness and the full disclosure of eternity, we don't realize how radically messed up our ability to comprehend is this side of the fall. So he gives us just enough for us to know it's true, to have that hope for it to come. But anything I could start to describe for you about the final resurrection and the final, the eternal state, it would just, it would only harm what it really is. I I couldn't give it to you in its fullness. We don't have the bandwidth to handle what God has coming for us. That's the final resurrection that comes because of the first resurrection. And it will happen in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. I can say that on the basis of the authority of Scripture. We'll be changed. The dead will be raised and given new bodies to be united with their renewed souls. Those who are alive at the final resurrection will be instantaneously transformed with new glorified resurrection bodies fit to live for eternity. I don't know how much time passage we'll experience when we die before Jesus comes back. Like those of our loved ones who are with God now, we know they're absent from the body, so they're present with the Lord. Are they experiencing a passage of time waiting for the final resurrection? What does waiting look like when you're with God? Is it just going to be that quick and we sense that we all enter at the same time? I don't know. But it's sure. In fact, Thomas Watson, one of the great Puritans, said, we are more sure to arise out of our graves than out of our beds. The final resurrection is the final apex of the other resurrections. And I don't know how much time you have left on this earth, but spend every moment for the glory of God so that others can know him too. But I promise you it's not long. Even the youngest, it will not be that long. I've been with people towards the end of their life when they're older, and it still comes suddenly. I remember just about eight or nine years ago, I was driving home one evening. I came up on the on-ramp off of I-35 going south on Santa Fe. I got up to near the light. I could see in in my rear view, I could see a car coming way too fast. And uh, so I kind of braced myself. Actually, I took my foot off the brake and the car plowed into behind me. And the back of my truck kind of went up on top of the front of the car and then it came back out. I got out to see what was going on. It was an elderly couple. And uh, they were just coming back from uh, a wedding. And he just didn't judge how close he was and was going too fast and and slammed into me. But they seemed fine. Seemed okay. In fact, they looked pretty healthy. So I talked to them. It seemed like everything was fine. They uh, had, uh, we exchanged some insurance information. I led them to their house because their headlights were broken and they couldn't see, but the car, the car worked fine. So he just followed me all the way to his house. Didn't live too far from where we lived at the time. I walked them out uh, into the house. I, uh, I had, uh, the lady's uh, arm and walked her to into the house and the, the man thanked me and I even watched them uh, one of them sit down in because uh, I could tell she was a little bit confused but more or less knew what was happening she sat down in the chair I talked to the husband asked several times if they were all right I got the little insurance card he went and got me an insurance card and I walked out this is Saturday night Sunday morning I was at church and after the services were over I remembered about it that I didn't call my insurance agent yet so I went 
into the office and I called my insurance agent and the insurance agent said, wow, we're glad you called. Uh, someone called last night and Mr. So-and-so died. And his wife suffers from Alzheimer's and she didn't, couldn't remember what had happened. They just knew that the car was wrecked and the children didn't know what had happened. It comes suddenly. Far more suddenly than you will imagine. For a year after, I got phone calls from his children just wanting to know what... I was the last person that saw him and talked to him. What was he like? What did he say? Did he say anything? They wanted to know because it came so quickly. But it always comes quickly. But for the believer, you have a resurrection to look forward to and it will all become new. And it will be far greater than you can imagine. That should give your life now much more meaning. No, it's going to be quick. So make the most of every second of this because you've been resurrected in soul and you will be in body. You're created to live forever for God. You're his workmanship. First Corinthians 15 down towards the 50th verse. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. My brothers and sisters, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the first of three great essential resurrections. The other two are the resurrection of your soul and the resurrection of your body. Make certain that you know that you are in Christ. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he won for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are already now resurrected to a new life. And finally, Christ's resurrection, it is a guarantee of our glorious resurrection. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so grateful that you have answered the most difficult question that faces all of us, death. We cannot skirt it. We cannot avoid it. We cannot elude it. It is impossible. So God, thank you from taking its sting away. I pray, God, that you would encourage every believer here to see their days as a carefully apportioned period of time to be lived for the glory of Jesus Christ in his good. I pray for those who are in some bit of terror now that they may go to the only place where they might find refuge into the arms of the risen Savior, our Redeemer, and our King, the Lord Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen.